The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are about to enter a world of straight talk, compelling issues, and real solutions. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio with your host, Kit Cummings. Each week, we will tackle the issues that you've been talking about. We bring desperately needed hope and peace to our youth and our communities. Now, here is Kit Cummings. Good evening, everyone. Kit Cummings, your host. We're broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia. It's a little bit soggy down here in the south. Uh, We're coming to you, though, and we have a great show for you. First of all, I do want to send out prayers to um, all our brothers and sisters and wonderful people in the Carolinas, especially down near the coast as they've been going through a lot here the last couple of days. But tonight, PowerPiece Radio is here to encourage you, to uplift you, motivate you, inspire you. I don't know what kind of day you had. Um, you might be flying right now. might have been the best day of your life. might not have been so good. You might have had some challenges, some bad news, some good news, ups and downs. But here's one thing I know, and this is what I was thinking just a few minutes ago, and I try to do this every time. I'm getting ready to do a, a presentation, a speech, a show is I don't want to ever take this moment for granted. This is a special moment. All we ever have is right here, right now. And tonight, I'm going to honor this moment. I'm not going to discount it, phone it in. I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about, who we're going to talk to. And so um, I want just throw that out there and encourage you. Right now, this moment is all we have. And so tonight, we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh a little bit, but we're going to dig into some really, really meaty, deep issues and uh, we've got an incredible guest, and then we have a surprise guest at the end. So everybody needs to stick with us. Um, Power Peace Radio, I want to give you a quick little uh, pop update. I'm preparing for my Michigan prison tour. It's coming up. I leave Sunday to go up to western Michigan. And as most of you know, that we have uh, the Power Peace Project operates in prisons and schools and communities and in the suburbs, trying to help to interrupt, redirect, and uplift at-risk youth that are on an unhealthy, risky, dangerous path, but also go in and try to create peace in places that lack it. And definitely maximum security prisons um, are a fertile soil for the kind of work that we do. So I'm so looking forward to it. Every few months, I get to go up and see uh, a lot of men that I know and then meet new ones in the Michigan prison system. And then in November, I'll be going to Ohio to continue my youth correctional uh, tour. And it is fascinating work. Um, But really, the principles and the things we're going to talk about tonight are right in line with the things that we're doing in the prisons. I also want um, to uh, introduce or remind everybody I've got Zeron Pledger, a.k.a. Z. And last week, we, um, we, our guests thought we had two guys, one Z and one Zeron. So tonight, we're just saying, I'm just going to call you Z, okay? But um, say hey, man. You out there? Hello, everyone. Just wanted to speak speak to you. Um, just as Kid said, you know, I hope everyone's having a wonderful day. And we want to continue to inspire you and motivate you to move forward. Stay lifted. Absolutely. So tonight, we have a special guest. And um, I met this gentleman about... For three or four years ago, I was speaking down at a place called Jekyll Island. 
down in Georgia, down on the coast, and I was uh, fortunate enough to have been asked to do a keynote presentation for the Georgia Accountability Courts. And so there were judges, and there were law enforcement, and there were probation officers, and there were attorneys, and there were uh, the, the commissioner of the Department of Corrections, but also we had representatives from uh, the House. And Jay Neal was there. We sat at the same table, and I don't believe in coincidences. I believe there's divine appointments all around us, and this was definitely one. And I've gotten to know this man, and I respect him, admire him, and um, we've started to, to really dream a little bit. I support uh, what he's doing in my lovely state of Georgia. This is my town. Jay Neal was elected to the Georgia House of Representatives in 2004 and served until 2013 when Governor Nathan Deal appointed him to lead the Office of Transition Support and Reentry. Mr. Neal now serves as Criminal Justice Liaison at the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council. As Vice Chair of the Public Safety and Homeland Security Committee, Representative Neal was asked to carry agency legislation for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation during his freshman year and quickly became the go-to House member for GBI legislation. Also in his freshman year, Representative Neal authored legislation that reduced the number of meth labs in Georgia by 65% in his first year. In 2011, Representative Neal authored HB 265, establishing the Special Counsel on Criminal Justice Reform for Georgians, which led to criminal justice reform for adults and juveniles. Representative Neal has shared the story of criminal justice reform in Georgia with numerous states and conferences over the last two years. Jay Neal also has served 25 years as a bivocational pastor. Welcome to the Power Peace Radio, Mr. Neal. Well, thank you, Kit. It is an honor to be with you this evening. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your uh, busy, busy schedule. I'm going to get to the most important thing right off the bat, okay? Are you a Georgia Bulldogs fan? (laughs) Well, Kit, I have to be honest with you. Georgia Bulldogs (laughs) uh, would be my second favorite team. Um, Come on with it. Who is number one? Well, I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, so I bleed orange, and uh, I've been doing a lot of bleeding now for a number of years. We got you guys this week. This is a big game, man. This is interesting. It's You're on the week before the big Georgia-Tennessee game. Big game. And, and, after, and after last Saturday, it's a, it's a really big game for both teams. We don't, definitely right about that, Jay. We, do, we don't talk about last Saturday already. We you just are, don't speak of it. You we already speak forgot of it last Saturday. That's good. I like it. What, la- what last Saturday? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's, that's, the, that's the hope. Right, you, I just had to get this off of my chest. And hope for the future. I did. I just had to go ahead. I apologize to the listeners, to you guys that are on here. I just had to get this out because it hurts, and so I wanted <laughs> just to just to get it out at the beginning of the show. And now I'm already feeling better. <laughs> now we can move on to um, less important. No, I'm just kidding. More important things. Um, but anyway, we're going to jump right in. Uh, Jay, I met you, and then I had also the privilege to be able to speak um, when you were sworn in by Nathan Deal, our governor, um, and started your new position back in 2013. It sounds like you've transitioned again. You've been doing incredible work. I'd love for you to tell us, how did you get where you're at now, and what was it that led you to politics, and then also led you to step down from your um, representative seat and go into the, the field you're in now? Wow, and, and this is an hour show, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> All for you, man. All for you. Yeah, tell us the um, whole deal. 
Well, let, let me let me tell you, I, you, you mentioned that I was a bivocational pastor for 25 years, and, and for a number of those years, I was a school bus driver uh, and, and actually volunteered to drive the, the bus for the alternative school um, because I knew that those were kids who really needed somebody that could make a difference in their life. So uh, I, I was very involved in the school system and very involved in the, the local community. And uh, not very involved in politics, to be honest with you. Uh, I voted. Uh, I encouraged my church to vote, but I, I had not been engaged in politics beyond that uh, until uh, in 2001. We did a uh, we, we called it undivided. Uh, we did a, a project in in our local community to try to break down the racial, denominational, and economic barriers that separated our community. Um, brought uh, seven denominations, 12 churches together uh, to do that. And one of the, the members of the board uh, that brought that uh, together asked me uh, to run for state representative. And, and when he did, I laughed at him. Uh, I had absolutely no interest in doing that. And outside of the immediate area, I wasn't known across the district. Um, but I agreed to pray about it. And uh, one one thing I've learned is, don't pray about something unless you're serious about the, the possibility of following uh, that path. Uh, so my wife and I began to pray about it. Uh, we asked our family to help us pray about it. Ultimately, I uh, went to the church and asked the church to help us pray about it. Uh, and after a few months, decided uh, that this was God leading uh, me to run for state representative. Really didn't know why. I just knew that, uh, that I, I was feeling that, uh, that inclination and that leading. And it was during the campaign that um, uh, one of the, the gentlemen from our area uh, contacted me through my wife. His, his daughter and my wife worked together and asked me if I would serve on the board of a residential drug treatment program that he was about to establish. And uh, I felt like that would probably be good for my campaign uh, literature, another community uh, activity that I was involved in. And uh, long story short, those men in that program started attending my church. And what I saw in those addicts and alcoholics that were in recovery and struggling to stay in recovery was 180 degrees different from what I had always believed about addicts and alcoholics. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't understand why they wouldn't quit what they were doing and, and take care of their families and, and keep a job. And if they love their families, why, why don't they just quit? And I saw these... I saw these men, big, strong men, broken, um, shedding tears over the failures uh, for their, to their children and their fa- failures to their, to their spouses. And uh, it just really, uh, uh, really got me to the point where I had to, to decide what am I going to do with what I've always believed and this contradictory experience that I'm facing right now in my church. Uh, so I began to look at... Um, uh, the science of addiction and learn everything I could about addiction. And um, as, I, as I learned about how these men were uh, enslaved by their addiction, uh, I, I began to understand that, that probably God put me in the state legislature to be a voice for those individuals that were suffering from addiction. So I, I became uh, somewhat of a champion for recovery in the Georgia state legislature. And I, I, I did that for a number of years. And um, it was in 2010 I, I was given the opportunity to go to a, a conference on evidence-based sentencing and corrections reform. 
and I began to see that we were trying through, and not just Georgia, but uh, but through the war on drugs and what we were doing across the country, we were trying through consequences to punish away a behavior that would not be punished away. Uh, right. One of, one of the, the keys to addiction, when you you, you look at someone and, uh, that's in addiction, that's, that's somebody that continues to do the same thing over and over again without regard to the consequences. Mm-hmm. So in the criminal justice system, we decide the way we're going to get them to quit doing that same thing over and over again is through consequences. Right. Kind of ironic that, uh, that that's the... Uh, the step that we took for so many years. So I, I became um, an advocate for criminal justice reform. Governor Deal, uh, when he was elected, uh, the first thing he talked about in his inaugural address was uh, the need for criminal justice reform and the state's responsibility to, to protect um, the, the people of Georgia and how criminal justice reform had to be a major part of that. So it's been a, it's been a journey of a number of years that um, led me to, to run in the first place and ultimately led me to, uh, to become the advocate for uh, recovery and the advocate for criminal justice reform. And uh, when, when Governor Deal asked me to, uh, to resign from the state house to take on uh, the position of executive director of the governor's office of transition support and reentry back in 2013, it was a no-brainer for me. Um, governor Deal has provided unbelievable leadership in the state of Georgia, and I, I'm just honored to have the opportunity to follow him and be a part of the team. And uh, it, it was a it was an easy choice for me. Wow, that is um, God, so refreshing. I hope people are really. Um hearing and and identifying with what you're saying because the, the whole country is talking about politics right now as we come up on a big big election year and and what you just described at least what I heard was a calling I mean it, it is a career but it's a calling for you and it, and it, I've always well you've heard it said that the best leaders many times are reluctant leaders it's not someone who's charging out into the front has to have the spotlight but it's somebody that's already leading, and then people around them start saying, hey, it's your time. And just to hear that story, and I connected in so many ways with it. One, I grew up with addiction in my family. It runs through our family, especially through the men, and it did not skip me. And so I have a a, a real heart for men and women that are trying to break that cycle, trying to get into recovery, long-term recovery, um, because I myself am. And also... Um, I went into the prisons for the first time uh, a number of years ago and did not find uh, what I expected to find. When you were saying, and I believe you're talking about Penfield Recovery Homes, I'm assuming. Uh, Penfield is an amazing work, and I've gotten the chance to go to um, several or a couple of those uh, recovery homes, and I know that you're you're such a big part of that. Uh, But I didn't find in the prisons what I expected to find. I found men that were, they were heartbroken. A lot of them were trying so hard to change. And a lot of them had changed. And and it just, it changed me. And um, to have people in our government, not just in the state, but on the national level, I think Georgia is now starting to be recognized as a, someone out in front of this issue in, um, in prison reform. Uh, because the lock them down punitive justice we know is is not working. It's just um, it's building more prisons, and so um, I just I just had to say thank you for uh, following your calling. And um, what an amazing story! See? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I must say the same thing. I really must commend you, uh, Jay, on the great things that you've done. I mean, I, I was touched by listening 
to that as well, and I understand, um, you know, kids struggle, and I actually have some some friends and, and loved ones, you know, that have that same struggle to where they're enslaved by uh, certain acts uh, with drugs or, drugs or alcohol or crime and things of that sort, and they just cannot break free of that spirit, you know, that, that lies on them. Um and I had another question, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip past that just based on the things you guys have said. Um, but I did want to ask you, Jay, based on uh, the things that you said with youth crime and drug activity, I mean, we turn the televisions on, we look in the newspaper, uh, online, everything you see with youth crime and drug activity is like it's on the rise. It's reaching like epidemic levels, uh, especially now with the opiates, the heroin, the methamphetamines. I mean, there's things that... I couldn't imagine as a child that these young people are experiencing, not to mention um, the influence from the gangs and the drug dealers and things of that sort. How in the world were you able to decrease the number of meth labs in Georgia by 65% in just your freshman year? (laughs) Well, I I had a lot of help from people who knew a whole lot more about what they were doing than I did. Um, Coming in as a freshman, I, I was told... Uh, freshmen sit on the back back row. They don't talk. They uh, they they listen. And uh, my my senator, uh, Senator Jeff Mullis, uh, was one of the keys to that because he um, he introduced a parallel bill to the one I introduced in the Senate. And uh, word got to me pretty quickly from um, people who were interested that uh, that he was telling everyone at the Capitol that if the House passed my bill to him. Uh, that the uh, the Senate would act upon my bill, but if they send anybody else's bill over, uh, they were gonna they were gonna move Senator Mullis's bill, and, and instead of taking action on the bill that came over from the House, so um, he uh, he kind of greased the path for me and um, uh, got my bill out in front ahead of of uh, the other bills that had been introduced, and uh, I got a lot of help from the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse and uh, even. Um, Georgia Food Industry Association and Georgia Retail Association that really came to the table and, and we started diving into uh, what we need to do in order to be able to uh, effectively address the, the meth epidemic. And we, we put together a, a pretty comprehensive bill that did a number of things. Um, and, and in hindsight, looking back on it, one of the things that probably impacted it as much as any uh, was uh, beginning to, to treat pseudoephedrine a uh, little bit differently and making it a little bit harder to uh, to get access to the pseudoephedrine that uh, was needed to manufacture the meth. But uh, it was a bill that, that came at it from two or three different angles and, uh, quite frankly, uh, could have never done that without a help, the help from an awful lot of people, uh, like I said, that knew a, a lot more about what they were doing than I knew about what I was doing as a freshman. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that that's, uh, that's intense. A lot of... Um, <laughs> People started watching a show called Breaking Bad and a number of years ago, and I don't know if you guys have, have seen it, but it, it's this new, I mean, it, it's already been going on, but this, it's such a beast of a problem in our country because you don't have to import that stuff. A lot of times they're importing the ingredients you talked about, but people are just cooking it up in these little labs and up in the woods and in the mountains and out in the middle of nowhere, and it's an epidemic. Uh, because of the effect that it has on the brain and the dopamine blast that comes so fast um, because that drug penetrates the, the membrane into the uh, the parts of the brain that produce that dopamine blast. And uh, kids are, are hitting that thing one time, and it is scary. And that kind of leads me into what I'm 
I'm wanting to talk to you now. One, I know you've... Uh, one one of the things, if I can interject before you yes, go sir, to the next, please. and Z mentioned it, the opiate addiction and the ease of access to opiates is uh, by far, in my opinion, a greater threat than what we were facing 10 years ago with methamphetamine. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue, and that that's perfect. I, um, I know you've your work has taken you into juvenile reform, but we're getting um, we're getting a lot of younger inmates, and a lot of the places where I'm going, I'm, it's not the typical just the inner city tough you know kid from the streets, gangs. I mean that's definitely there, but we're getting a whole new breed of inmate. Or tragically, we're having a lot of overdose and suicide in the suburbs. Um, but so much of it is about opiates, and that opiate use will eventually graduate on into heroin. And we're talking about schools in the suburbs like Walton and Milton and even in the private uh, Christian schools that heroin's right. accessible and or oxycodone, you know, hydrocodone or oxycontin and the things that uh, kids are just popping them. And, it's, and these aren't the kids that, that were the, the ones in our schools that were doing drugs. I grew up in East Cobb. But um, what is your um, opinion slash solution? This is such a big part of your work. How do we get people treatment before incarceration? Because I know the war on drugs has just fueled a multi-billion dollar industry. And like you said, I believe in the first um, your first comments, um, we're locking people up first a lot of times in this country. And a lot of them just need help with their addiction. And then we could keep them from going in and then get them out quicker. But what can we do about well, that? We found... We, we found when we started looking at criminal justice reform, the first report of our of the Council on Criminal Justice Reform uh, for Georgians um, highlighted the fact that uh, such a high percentage of our first-time admissions, and I, I think if I remember correctly, it was about five or 6,000 a year coming into prison for the first time on drug and property offenses. And um, one, one of the things that, uh, that Governor Deal understood very, very well, his, his son is a... Uh, is a drug court judge. Um, Governor Deal is a, is a former uh, prosecutor and former uh, juvenile court judge himself. He understands very well that many times, the, the, especially with the younger crowd, the, those who are involved in criminal behavior may not be criminally minded. They may, they may have an addiction that's causing them to behave criminally in order to support their addiction. So he, uh, in, in the first round of criminal justice reform, in, in 2012, when we passed, um, when we passed House Bill 1176, that uh, that really went after the some sentence and reform, and and has ultimately um, reduced the prison population in Georgia considerably. One of the things the governor did was he increased funding for accountability courts in the state of Georgia, adding about uh, it, it was either 10 or 12 million new dollars to. Uh, accountability courts, and and now that that number's pushing closer to twenty million, and uh, we now have a hundred and thirteen accountability courts in the state of Georgia, and those accountability courts um, have um, been also with with that bill created a a standard for accountability courts to to measure up to uh, a competitive process to get the grants to fund the accountability courts, uh, and ultimately making sure that we're getting the right offenders into the accountability court so that we can begin to address uh, those drug addiction issues. Uh, uh, primarily, other uh, some of the accountability courts are mental health courts or mm-hmm. um, e- even uh, some uh, problem-solving courts that deal with, uh, with child support. So there's a, a variety of 
uh, options out there in the accountability courts. And the, the accountability courts, uh, probably more than any other single uh, step that's been taken in Georgia, those accountability courts are taking a lot of people that otherwise would have been in prison and giving them a, a rigorous program. It's not easy. It's a rigorous program that they go through where there's uh, staffing with um, substance abuse uh, professionals, um, probation, uh, the courts, uh, to, to really make sure they're doing the right things over an extended period of right. time uh, in order to get in recovery. And I think that's one of the probably the, the biggest, uh, if you look at the single, the biggest single thing we've done in Georgia uh, to stop that flow into prison, it would be the accountability courts. There are other things that we've done as well, day reporting centers, day reporting center lots. Uh, there, there are other things we've done, too, to provide judges alternatives uh, to where they can hold offenders accountable um, and, and give them a, a, some, some rigorous uh, programming in order to be able to get them in recovery. And we've, we've had a, an incredible amount of success with those programs. I got you. I, you brought yeah. up uh, J- Judge Partain in Dalton. I'm sure you probably know Judge Partain. He is, Absolutely, uh, that's my neck of the woods. <laughs> well, I get to go up there about every six weeks, and I'm telling you, Jay, it's one of the highlights of what I do. And I go up and I spend two hours with those beautiful people in the drug court up there, and they're doing amazing work. And um, we cheer and laugh and cry, and hope is the new dope is our anthem, and uh, it's so much fun. So, um, so how many times anyway, yeah, have you I, heard I one that. of them say, this court has saved my life, yeah. Or this court has given me my family back. How many times right. have you heard one of those two things? All the time. And I love their mm-hmm. graduations. I mean, it is unbelievable. I wish everybody could. You don't know what you don't know until you see it. And you and people need to see it. Uh, recovery's happening. But, all right, we want to get on this, uh, this next segment here. So um, before yeah. we go to a little game we close out with, Z. Uh, yeah. No, see, I heard you just mention, though, you just talked about um, – saving people's lives. You know, it's like, well, how does it save my life and save my family? Uh, last week we had Chairman Eze on with us, and I kind of asked him a similar question. But with you, we understand that you served as a pastor for the past 20 years, 25 years, um, throughout your political career. So in your opinion, how, does, how do you think that faith played a role in prison reform and lowering recidivism? And what do you think the uh, effects were on taking prayer out of the schools? Well, I I don't think you can deny the fact that the the changes in our culture uh, have led to to some of the issues that that we're facing. I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, uh-huh. If if, um, if people are uh, are seeing the culture that we live in and and uh, so many things that are widely accepted now that um, that would not have been accepted uh, a number of years ago, um, and you you talked about the gang activity and some of the other things that, uh, that, that just continues to, uh, to, to build. And one of the reasons is because so many of those kids don't have a father to look up to. Uh, you, you, you're coming up through the hood and dad's not there. Um, yeah. uh, maybe he's in prison. Maybe he's gone. Maybe you don't even know who he is. Uh, and so many of these youngsters coming up, um, uh, in, in their communities don't have that, that father figure in their life, and they they end up turning to the to the one thing that that they see that replaces that, and it becomes the gang that that leads them uh, in into this kind of lifestyle. And when you start talking about 
those kind of dynamics and the the effect of of, of culture as a whole, it, it's um, it's pretty evident to anybody that's paying any attention at all uh, that all of those um, cultural uh, issues certainly add to and complicate the problems that we're trying to correct with the uh, with our accountability courts and our, our day reporting centers and, and uh, with the juvenile justice reform, what we've done with uh, in Georgia with juvenile justice reform to, to try to keep uh, these juveniles in the community, receiving treatment in the community rather than out-of-home placement. Uh, it, it's, it's phenomenal uh, what kind of impact the, uh, the culture is having, and, and we're just doing everything we can to, to try to address that a little bit at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when we talk about, and it was interesting because um, we we did talk about this this last week, and um, and it's it's a big it's a big issue, obviously, and, and I know it's a firebrand kind of an issue of prayer in the schools, and there's a big battle over it. But what I found is several years ago, I wanted to get this work into the schools, but I knew that there were boundaries that I had to work within, and I need to respect different faiths, cultures, faith traditions, or no faith, and have people, people have the rights to, you know, to, to those boundaries of church and state. But what I found is, is everywhere I went, if, if, I, uh, if I rode in on Dr. King, it seems like I could get in anywhere I wanted to go, whether it was a school, a prison, a church, a community, a corporate event. Is Dr. King and those nonviolent principles, they are, are universal, and so we started bringing together Gandhi and King and Mandela and Mother Teresa, and we saw the Pope just make this historic tour. And so in some ways, there's an awakening going on with some people, but in a lot of ways, our, our country is under spiritual attack and there's a faith crisis going on. So I think that there's a way to get faith back into schools, but it doesn't have to be, you know, um, you know, it's, that to be a, a Christian thing or a Muslim thing. It just needs to be a respecter of, of people, and, and I respect your walk, and I honor it, and I can walk with you and understand you better. But now this is a crazy segue we're going to have to do, and so it's, it's a, I'm just going to have to jump into it, Jay. Zeron's got this thing that they plays this little game, and so at this point of the show, then this is where I say the views expressed for the rest of Powerpiece Radio does not necessarily reflect the views of Kit Cummings. So I've got to give myself a little disclosure there. And or since we're, since we're in uh, election season, I'm going to put a little disclaimer at the end of this. Kit Cummings did not approve this message. How's that? Does that work? So um, anyway, I, I'm really, I'm scared. Maybe I need to do a disclaimer as well, Kit. All right. So, so Z has come up with some crazy little things. So, I mean, I'm, Z, go ahead, buddy. This you, man. Yeah, yeah in each, each show, we, we do a, uh, a a little section. This particular section we're doing with you is called Your Interpretation of the Situation. And so what happens is we kind of read a question to you or a phrase, and you just kind of say, okay, yeah, I, I can see that, or you make your comment on it, or you kind of answer the question, you know, just as brief as possible. So uh, with this first one, as you know, John Boehner, uh, now has resigned. So this is, you know, my perspective on it. Pope Francis made John Boehner look in the mirror of integrity and penance as a devout Catholic. What do you think? Yay, nay? Wow, I haven't even thought about it, to be honest with you. I, <laughs> and, and I know a lot of people are you. In this, but... But we are we have been so busy with the things that we're doing with uh the, the Georgia Prison Reentry Initiative and the work here that while I'm aware of the things that are going on, I haven't 
followed enough to, to even know what what led to any of that stuff. I, so I, I haven't really thought about that at all. Well so, played, sir. That was very well played. How's yeah. that? Kid, is that dancing pretty good? I am very impressed. That's where we I need think, some of that dance, background I music. Stars, I think Dancing with the Stars came on tonight, kid. I think he needs to go ahead and uh, sign up. No, I think that he sidestepped that thing pretty nicely. That was pretty nice. Um, you know, I'll just move on. <laughs> All right, now, now keep in mind, this is, we go back and forth here. George, okay, this is the, the, the situation, the interpretation of the situation. Georgia was a disappointment in 2014 for Democrats. Georgia will be the next purple state. Buy or sell? Um, I, I'm just going to say I'm not buying that. Um, with, without uh, going any further than that, I, I think that um, uh, uh, I, I'm not saying that it couldn't happen. Uh, it certainly could. Um, yeah. And, and w- there's uh, there's some things that I, I think uh, uh, both parties in Georgia probably need to be working on, quite frankly. Uh, but I, I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not buying that one. Now you are okay. known, and I and I've, uh, we've been kidding some, but I do know that you have a wonderful reputation of being able to work across the aisles and get things done, and that is what we need in uh, in Congress. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. That, definitely. Absolutely. It's been, and and it's one of the reasons, quite frankly, that that Governor Deal has been so incredibly successful. When we started criminal justice reform uh, in here in Georgia in 2012, we passed our first. Uh, criminal justice reform bill, um, Governor Deal is part of Governor Deal's legislative agenda, and uh, we have 180 members in the the House of Representatives. We have 56 members uh, in the state Senate, and uh, you, you rarely do you get a unanimous vote on anything of of any substance at all. And that that piece of criminal justice reform legislation in 2012 passed unanimously in the House and unanimously in the Senate. We came back in 2013. Governor Deal um, led the juvenile justice reform in 2013, and that bill passed unanimously in the House and the Senate as well. Wow. And, and one of the reasons it did was because uh, from the very beginning, we, we, uh, we took this on as uh, not even a bipartisan issue. We took it on as a nonpartisan issue. Uh, and, and Governor Deal did a, an incredible job working across the aisle, um, engaging uh, stakeholders. When you start talking about criminal justice reform, there's something in criminal justice reform for everybody, regardless of their political spectrum, whether they're conservative or liberal, whether they're fiscally conservative or socially conservative or whether they're fiscally liberal. It it doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum. There's something about criminal justice reform that you can grab a hold of and say, this is really good. And it's really good because of this core principle that I believe in. And, and yeah. he did a really good job of, of engaging uh, both parties in, in both chambers. And, uh, and, and that, that's, I think that's evidenced by uh, the, the way our criminal justice reform has been moving now for Absolutely. about four years here in Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Z, toss him, uh, toss him a softball. Yeah, toss him a little softball. Yeah, two, two quick ones for you. Buy or sell. The Atlanta Falcons will go undefeated this year. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that happen. I would absolutely love to see that, and I'm pretty excited I love about this, this 4-0 start. I love this guy, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but when was the, when's the last time a team went undefeated? 
Dolphins. Ooh, I don't know. Dolphins. Yeah, the, was, 72. Yeah, the Dolphins in the 70s, wasn't it? 72. I, yeah, that's what I'm yeah, thinking. Yeah, I just don't think you're ever going to see another undefeated team. I don't either. Okay, yeah, last one. Too many, too many good four. teams, too many tough games. Last yeah, one, then we're yeah. going to take a break here before our last segment. This one, I don't know where he came up with this thing. This is a real story. <laughs> there was a man found in a suitcase that was being carried by his friend through a Peruvian airport. Now, if they both go to jail, which one should get the most time? Should it be the toter or the floater? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, uh, to jail for that? Uh, I, I think there might be an alternative uh, way of holding them accountable that could prevent getting them into the criminal justice system with criminally minded folks that would cause them to come out on the other side worse off than they were when they went in. Very, very nicely played. I'm so impressed. I was impressed with you, Mr. Neal, before you came on. Now I'm telling you what, I see how you get things done. Um, we're going to take a break, but uh, Jay, thank you. I want you to stay on if you can. We've got a guest that is fascinating for the last segment of the show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and go to um, a couple of sponsors, and then we're going to be right back. Stay with us. Power Peace Radio. Love is in the air It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home, and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Power of Peace Radio. 
To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Kit at kitcummings.com. Now back to Power of Peace Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Power of Peace Radio, Kit Cummings, Zeron Pledger. We've been on line tonight with Jay Neal, who a uh, former congressman, former director of the Governor's Office of Transition Support and Reentry, currently serving as the Criminal Justice Liaison at the Criminal Justice Coordinated Council here in Georgia, talking about amazing things about how to help people that are in the cycle of addiction, how to help people from keep from getting into prison and those that, that get in to get out and stay out. We had a great conversation about uh, faith and how that plays a role in it. Um, but really just a great time. And then, of course, we got a little uh, little silly at the end of there, and we started talking about some things that Z brought up. So we're going to get serious again for a minute. I've got my a good friend of mine. His name is uh, Leonid Semenov, and I want to tell you how we met. And we've been talking a little bit about uh, incarceration, but also in the news, there's a lot of news coming out of Eastern Europe and a lot of the stuff that's going on there. Um, I set an intention several years ago that I wanted to go to prisons in the former Soviet Union. And I'd seen a a little show on uh, the toughest prisons in the world, and one of them was about uh, Russian prisons. And and I was asked to speak in an event, and I went and I was speaking, and I, I mentioned just in the course of my um, my keynote that that I, a fascinating place that I do a lot of my work is in prisons. And there was a gentleman sitting out in the audience that I had never met. He had never met me, and he was there and had never been to this particular uh, event before. And he stood in line at the end of the uh, presentation, and I was selling some books and shaking hands and meeting people. And he came up and. And really, I'd been praying to go to, to a Russian prison, but I didn't, I didn't have a plan. I mean, I hadn't done anything about it. And this was a week after I'd, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And this wonderful man walked up to me and he said, hello, my name is Leo. And I was like, how do you do, sir? And I could tell he had this wonderful Russian accent. At least that's what I thought. And he said, um, I have a request. I'm sorry, Leo, that I'm, I'm doing an impression of you, but I'm going to do it anyway. He oh, said, no, I have I a request. <laughs> and I said, at least I could hear said, my, I would like uh, to know. <laughs> <laughs> so this man that I don't even know, he says, I would like to know if you would go with me to Russian prison. And I said, yes. And you said, you don't understand. I cannot find any American to go with me to Russian prison. And I said, I'll go. And you said, I still don't think you understand. I myself have never been in Russian prison. <laughs> and so we, we became great friends that day. And doggone it, we went, didn't we? You took me to Ukraine. We went into schools and we went into churches and we did go into a prison. But I want to introduce to everybody my friend Leo. Grew up in Moscow. And um, Leo, thank you so much for being on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, appreciate uh, very much you, Kit, and all the listeners uh, to be on the program. And uh, I hope... Uh, I can squeeze my life story into a few minutes of our conversation here. But uh, thinking back about uh, my years back in living in Russia and listening to this program, you know, uh, I uh, come, you know, I can speak about prisons from completely different perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, basically not committed any uh, crime. And living in Russia, I was actually treated as a criminal just because of my belief in Christ. And uh, 
you know, that's how communists were actually treated everybody who was Christian back in the, in the former Soviet Union. I was even called uh, American spy because, uh, you know, uh, believing God was something that portrayed being a uh, not natural part of the communistic society. So uh, uh, just like these days, uh, we hear a lot of blame. You know, America has been blamed for everything and the news that Russia is doing in Ukraine and other parts of the world. Same thing was happening to us Christians. You know, America was blamed uh, for exporting, actually, Christianity into the Soviet Union. Mm. Uh, speaking about my life back into those years, uh, because of my belief in Christ, uh, I was not allowed to get a higher education and because of that, uh, you, how could you get a better job? How could you get a better pay? You know, you always just uh, end up, you know, uh, just kind of being like like on the low end of the society, uh, on the on the community you live in, and uh, everybody would be just pointing, uh, you know, fingers uh, to you, and you know, just you know, saying, "Oh, you're a, you know, you're a Baptist," because you know everybody was like a Baptist there. But, uh, and I can go on and on with all of that kind of stuff, but uh, nevertheless, um, you know, we Christians uh, felt like uh, being privileged, because this is what the Bible says, everybody who believes in Christ will be and should be persecuted. Uh, I'm not saying here in America, I don't know about that. You know, there's still a lot of freedom here, although right. I see some uh, signs of, uh, you know, America being on a decline. But, um, uh, yes, we were meeting in the people's homes. We were meeting in the woods because uh, our churches were destroyed. Our Bibles were taken away from us. The communists believe, believed actually very strongly that if they would uh, shut down all the churches and take Bibles from our homes, uh, you know, we would stop being Christians. But the little they knew that if you believe in, in God and you have actually Jesus Christ in your heart, Nobody can take it from your heart, you know. Police cannot come to your heart and take Jesus from it. So uh, we were actually much stronger. Uh, and uh, I was actually privileged and honored to be part of the underground operation where we uh, actually printed all kinds of Christian literature and distributed across the nation. Uh, now, this is during the Cold War, right? During the heart of yeah, the Cold War. Yeah, during the persecution time. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, anyway, um, what I would like to... Well, one more thing about that, back to those years. When the freedom came in the a, uh, a, well, uh, eight, uh, a, a, end of 80s, in the end of 80s, uh, same friends of mine in Moscow just gathered together, just, you know, there was four of us guys and the lady bookkeeper, and we made, my commit, made a commitment before God that we're going to print millions and millions of copies of God's Word. And, uh, again, God really heard our prayers, and uh, 
in a short three years since we started having no money in the account or anything, you know, knowing nothing about even publishing, uh, God orchestrated for us to use best former communistic presses in Moscow that used to print Lenin's uh, works and so forth and all other communistic works. They printed nothing else but Bibles and children's Bibles and other literature. So literally, in the short three years, our company that we started got grown from four guys into over 200 people <laughs> full-time wow. working. And uh, we literally printed, I would say, close to 15 million copies of the God's Word. Wow. The hunger See, for the gospel was Go so great. We were able to rent out huge warehouses and the paper rolls, you know, big, those big uh, paper rolls were actually flowing into the warehouse like a river, you know, like a big river. And, and trucks were loading it up, uh, delivering to the printing houses, like I said, those uh, former communistic presses, big Five, six-story printing houses in Moscow were printing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of copies of Christian literature. And same trucks on the way back were actually loading up those books, taking them back to the warehouse. And we were shipping those, you know, uh, not in the suitcases, although we had some people coming with suitcases from all over of Russia, but <laughs> in the containers, on the train cars, and, and on and on. So God really honored uh, our work and awarded us with a great blessing. So I'm a live witness of actually, I mean, you know, thinking about those years back, I would say that any uh, bestseller, any, you know, largest publisher here in the United States would be jealous at us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many books we produced. I mean, I'm telling you, folks, literally millions and millions of copies. That is amazing. So, and, I, and I'm you just know, I was sitting here in with, America uh, now, and I'm enjoying just kind of thinking back and uh, what God has done. It's amazing. It is very amazing. And I don't know if everybody else that's listening to this is feeling what I'm feeling, because as I was listening to your story, and, I've, and I've, uh, we've traveled together. I've gotten to know you. I've gotten to know your, your family and your beautiful wife and uh, people are seeing Ukraine on the television and they're seeing, you know, what what's happened in Kiev and all the things that are around it. But what a lot of people haven't seen is what I got to see with you. And you took me to the beautiful town of Lviv and up, up on the western side near Poland. And it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen in the world. And I've been around and seen a lot of different places and, and the people just stunning beauty inside and out. And so... You changed my life, Leo, and uh, I was joking around about how we met, but that is exactly what happened. But you really did change my life, and and um, I wrote about you in the book that I just released, and we have a chapter, you know, where you and I went on that adventure together. And um, uh, I wish we had more time to tell more of those stories. But yeah, um, chapter fifteen, just... I read it. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you now? Here's the question: Did you go straight to your chapter and read that first, or did you read the whole book? <laughs> Honestly, before God, that's the only chapter I read right now. (laughs) At least Leo is an honest man. I appreciate that. that, kid. (laughs) Just to make sure you, uh, you know, portrayed me in the right way. (laughs) 
my gosh, that is wonderful. I appreciate you being honest, but you better repent. Read the rest of that. <laughs> well, honestly, I didn't have time, you know, uh, since we met last time and uh, up till now. But I promise I will read it all, honestly. Uh, honestly. Okay. Z, Z, you gotta yeah, we're going to bring, we're gonna have to bring you back, man. We're going to have to bring you back and do this again. Uh, but before we run out of time, I wanted you to just kind of tell us about Tear, Tear and uh, your next adventure with Kid. I know you guys have some things coming up in the spring of 2016. So if you want to kind of give us an overview of that real quick, that'd be great. Uh, well, Tear uh, stands for the Evangelistic Association of Russia. It's been formed up uh, back in 1993, so we're... Uh, as a 501c3 nonprofit, and uh, we've been in business, like you see, 22 years. Uh, during uh, these, uh, this time, God really awarded us with an enormous amount of people. I, I literally would say that in the last 20-plus years, we have taken over 2,000 American, actually Americans, Christians, mostly Christians, on a short-term mission trip to Russia and Ukraine. Um, TIR has been uh, set up to help uh, Christians in the former Soviet Union to grow spiritually, to learn firsthand from Americans how to do churches, how to, to do different things. I mean, there's a lot of uh, the wealth of experiences and uh, all kinds of things that we can teach uh, those people who knew nothing else but persecution by their own government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're involved heavily in uh, uh, numerous orphanages in both countries. Now with uh, Kit and his involvement, uh, we got some prisons in western Ukraine open the door for us. And uh, uh, Kit, you already know, uh, the Christian uh, prison organization, national organization in Ukraine, would love for you to come and speak to their workers about your experiences here in America and encourage them and share um, your books, your printing materials with them. So this invitation is open. <laughs> in the last 20 years, we have taken over 2,000. Oh, I said that already. Oh, and okay. uh, okay. next year... Actually, Kit and I have been talking about uh, trying to bring some more teams. And uh, one of the exciting things to me, we would like to talk to Keller Williams uh, Real Estate Agency uh, Leadership. It's a Christian-based organization, if somebody does not know. Uh, We would like to see agents going on a short-term mission trip and learn her uh, firsthand uh, you know, not only help there with the orphanages and needy people, there's a lot of uh, refugees from eastern Ukraine, from the war zone that came into, right. we- into the West seeking for help and shelter. So we're trying to help them as well. Awesome. So and you know I'm going to see them tomorrow, Leo. Leo, I'm going to be in front of uh, another Keller Williams office tomorrow. And so okay. I'm going to remind them. And um, I'm going to have to wrap up here because we're coming up on a... Uh, hard uh, break here, but uh, Jay Neal, thank you so much for your time. Uh, We admire you, respect you, we're following you. Keep up your great work. I can't wait to see you soon. Uh, Leo, man, you're my brother, you're my friend, mentor. (laughs) We're not done yet, are we? We're going to do some wonderful things, and we're already planning on 2016, but um, what a fascinating uh, gentleman. Z, you're awesome, but I want to challenge everybody with this. 
um, as we close. Uh, tonight we heard about a man that um, followed a calling to Congress, and he was uh, pastoring a church and um, had a you know just a what we would call a normal life, and then prayed a prayer, followed a calling, and now is doing amazing things in the government and politics in the state of Georgia and nationally. And because he followed that voice, and then we got to hear another man that followed a calling that was a whole different calling, but it was uh, very similar, but it was in a a time where it was very desperate and very dark and dangerous. I mean, really, um, just like we see in the movies. I mean, an underground printing press, printing Bibles and staying one step ahead of the KGB and putting his his and his family, uh, putting their lives in danger because of their faith. And anybody that's out there listening tonight, I want to challenge all of us to make a difference. There's too many people in our country that are complaining, blaming, excuses, and we've just gotten soft. And tonight, I think, was a wake-up call. Um, I hope for everyone that's listening that um, we all have been called to do something great. And that's what I'm seeing in the prisons. I'm seeing men stand up. I'm seeing kids in the suburbs and inner cities and, and people that are uh, addicted to stand up and to do something great, to break the cycle, make your life count. It doesn't have to be politics. It doesn't have to be on the mission field. But you can do something. Walk across the cul-de-sac or go upstairs and hug your kids. But Power Peace is about change. We love you. Come back and see us. Listen in next week. Until then, be the peace and the power and the change you wish to see in the world. Peace out. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Power of Peace Radio. We hope you've become inspired to make a change in your world. Spread the word and make sure to tune into our next show. We're live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be the change you wish to see. And remember, hope is the new dope. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.